to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levane, and I have never seen any Doctor Who episodes until I started this podcast. And now, every week, I will watch an episode, and then I'll be joined by a huge Doctor Who fan that will be able to answer any and all of my, well nerdy questions as I dive into this amazing fandom. And for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about episode two of season one, which is titled The End of the World. And as my guest for this episode is a huge Doctor Who fan who also specifically said this was one of his favorite episodes. And his name is Eric Sweetman. Hi. Good to be here again. Thank you for inviting me back. I had a good time last episode and looking forward to chatting about really one of my favorite episodes for a reason that has nothing to do with plot, nothing to do with uh, visual effects, everything to do with the makeup of these, you know, the prosthetic makeup of the most amazing characters in the entire show's history, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. well... I can't, uh, I can't wait to delve into it. Um, so if you are joining us for the first time, thank you so much. Please make sure to visit firsttimelord.com and uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you want to hear more about. Last week, we talked about Rose, which was amazing. And this week, man, this show just jumps right in. This is season one, episode two. And once again, the end of the world is here. And this time we actually see it happen. What is going on? Hey, I told you that these are big stakes. They are all big stakes. Here. Holy <laughs> cow. Second episode and the world goes boom. Uh, I guess I should have precursored it by saying, if you have not watched the episode, Watch it before you listen, because we are going to spoil the episode. There's no way of really talking about it without giving away some of its secrets. Uh, and I certainly have a lot of questions about this show. So let's start uh, right away. Picks up from where the uh, episode one, Rose, ended. Uh, and the doctor says, where do you want to go? She says the future. Oh, you will definitely see more and more of the future and it will be identified in ways that are difficult to relate to because <laughs> you know it's every time like believe it or not you're seeing this version and this is not you you watch the destruction it's not over yeah there's <laughs> right. more that happens later you know it's it's like this is not the end of time it simply is the end of the world so uh, the the advantage, I guess, of having a device, the TARDIS, uh, which is an acronym, I found out. Uh, I forgot to we forgot to talk about in the last episode, right. but the uh, time and relative dimension in space. Uh, which that sounds great. So now I, I know a little bit more than I did before. <laughs> and the TARDIS is not just a clever British name for a phone booth, but not a a ship, I guess, because he does refer to it in this episode as his ship. It is absolutely a ship, yes. A, his, his ship, um, and it can travel through time. So I guess the advantage is he can take you to the end of time and then bring you back, um, which uh, 
I, I love the little reference to the idea, I guess, that he has been at this specific moment in time before mm-hmm. when he goes, that's not supposed to happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because in when you go through time, time can be affected by those that are in time. And when you, um, if you've been there before, you know what the patterns are, but because something is different, it is no longer the same straight line of time that it was before. We can bring up back to the future and talk about how different (laughs) things divided, like this happened here. So that meant that the world that you knew it before is no longer available to you. It is a separate timeline and you have to jump from it. Now with the TARDIS, it is easy to go because it is relative in time and space. It will, you can go anywhere, any when, and with some effort, any version of the timeline. Time travel can always get confusing and make, it, make your head start to hurt. Um, <laughs> fortunately, it, 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 I, I guess maybe the, the overall storyline of this episode kind of kept me from really fixating on the fact that they had traveled into the future. Uh, so let's jump into it. Um, one of the first lines he says in this episode you lot you spend all your time thinking about dying like you're gonna get killed by eggs or beef or global warming or asteroids but you never take time to imagine the impossible that maybe you survive that's a heck of a line right there because that's that's a heck of a sentiment right there to to try to shake up and wake people up and be like take the opportunity to embrace the impossible because that's clearly what this character is doing. I mean, he says it with such glee in his face and everything he does is with such glee in his face because he is embracing the impossible. So I just love that line. Um, Is there any last episode uh, we talked about, you mentioned that there was a specific piece of dialogue that you were hugely fond of is is there any line for you in this episode that sticks out i do know that i really enjoyed uh certain characters that appeared for glimpse like you know um there's one of the uh the blue people sorry am i allowed to be in here you have to give us permission to talk um you have permission? Thank you. And, uh, no, you're not in the way. Guests are allowed anywhere. That was a maintenance woman. There's a tiny little glitch in the face of Bow Suite. There must be something blocking the system. He's not getting any hot water. So you're a plumber? That's right, miss. They still have plumbers? <laughs> I hope so. Else I'm out of a job. <laughs> I, I got the impression that that was also a scene that uh, uh, it, it seems very British in its approach in that um, much more so than here in America, although lately it's become a thing. Um, the Brits are very stuck on social the social hierarchy and where you belong. You know, the royals are the royals and then everybody else on down. Right. And that scene seemed to sort of stipulate 
uh, that here we are these billions of years into the future and there is very much still a clear class system. Don't let me keep you. Good luck with it. Thank you, miss. And uh, thank you for the permission. Not many people are that considerate. Okay. See you later. And it also reflects on Rose's position because as we learned last week, she was a shop girl. You know, she wasn't part of this uh, ultra-rich, ultra-elite thing, except now she kind of is because she's the companion to the doctor. You know, all those rich, rich people don't have any real respect for anything that isn't just themselves. They don't see beyond their own power and their own privilege. So mm-hmm. even especially uh, this many years after the episode aired, this becomes even more significant in the current political environment and with the Black Lives Matter movement and all this stuff. It's like, wow, this is so topical. Which uh, is so interesting segue. Uh, as topical as that felt uh, as I was watching it uh, just before this ep- uh, recording, there are some very dated references in this episode. Um, you probably <laughs> don't remember. The, the one that struck me the most uh, is there's a, the, uh, amongst the, the myriad of characters that are the wonderful design. And there's the last human who is nothing but basically a sheet of skin held oh, taut. <laughs> and, uh, and Rose, uh, in just a toss-away line. Tell you what, you two go and pollinate. I'm going to catch up with the family. Quick word with Michael Jackson. Don't start the fight. Very dated line. Uh, I can't imagine that a, a young person watching the show now would even sort of catch what that line was meant uh, as when the show originally aired, uh, being old enough to have been through and lived through the reign of the King of Pop. I know exactly what she implied and that Michael was rumored to have had lots of plastic surgery, but that felt very much one of those references that you go, that was clever in the 90s and in the early 2000s. Not so much now. 15 years ago, that was topical. I did enjoy that. Uh, And even though 15 years later, I think people would still get the joke that they bring out a jukebox Mm. and Lady Cassandra says, And here, another rarity. According to the archives, this was called an iPod. It stores classical music from humanity's greatest composers. Play on! And yeah, as long the more that we go into our own technology, it's like we believe. Look, this is an iPod. It is, you know, <laughs> we who even has the iPods anymore? Everybody's got so much on their phones today. Our big, you know, our our phones don't look anything like the phones from ten years ago. Um, well. If uh, hopefully some of our old listeners have joined in this episode, but we had a podcast that we started and our logo so aptly created by you was basically a play on an iPod. iPod. Uh, And, you know, here we are some 10 years after the fact and uh, 
you know the, the iPads aren't a thing anymore. It's sort of built into the slab of glass. Um, but yeah. I, I found that moment very funny. Yeah. Um, the the whole idea that here's a jukebox and it's gonna. Um, but I also found it funny that uh, the one the the song that I guess the Earth ends to is "Toxic" by Britney Spears. Right. <laughs> like isn't that a, a dated moment in time and space yes <laughs> very 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 much but also you know here we are hindsight being 2020 oh, it's kind of funny exactly. that the world ends with toxic but uh, you you mentioned it uh, at the beginning I think one of the things that this episode had uh, that immediately captured my uh, interest in my imagination was all those characters. Uh, and we got to sort of see and hear some of them. And I loved how they played with um, this little tiny blue creature. And then he starts to speak. And My felicitations upon this historical happenstance. I bring you the gift of bodily saliva's... <laughs> Thank you very much. Which is comically ridiculous. Um, but there were a lot of other characters that we just kind of see in the background of these scenes that were just awesome. Right. You know, the, uh, one of the things that uh, Doctor Who has, has achieved fame for over its many, many years of existence is the um, cheap rubber costume alien makeup. You know, that's... It, it's the budget has always been low. Um, the writing has been really good a lot of the time, but the uh, special effects budget has, has not. And when mm-hmm. they re- revamped it for this, they gave us an opportunity to see um, what it could be. Like this, this became a better costumed episode than what had ever been seen before. And those having the diversity of characters. I mean, you know, Star Trek had some in the original series. They they had some cheap rubber costumes for their aliens as well. And sure, but usually only one or two creatures at a time next to the humans. Right. This had a plethora of different looks, and it was because it wanted to show that there is so much more to uh, the universe beyond earth you know this is like these these creatures came from all sorts of different uh planets and different cultures so they reacted to things like here's uh, sharing the gift of breath or spit or whatever <laughs> yeah um just to like you come into my presence and then that is the gift itself and then those trees got to bring up the trees because that's Mm -hmm. my favorite thing and you know we had three tree characters two male one female and the males were you know they were doing they were fine but jade the female tree was an extraordinarily beautiful costume on a wonderfully uh exciting actress you know, as a as a performer, she was able to bring in this energy that just you could feel her curiosity. Now she was descended; the character was descended from the trees of our own Earth rainforest. You know, oh, the this, rainforest. Yes. Yeah, this many years, so far in the future, the trees not only were sentient but mobile and taking on a very humanoid uh, aspect, but. 
they were still trees. I mean, two billion years into the future, sure, exactly. evolution would certainly. Yeah, we'd have no idea. Evolution is so amazing. You have no idea what the next step is going to be, where it's going to go. I only hope that there are people that aren't stretched out like a sheet um, to be able to see how the future develops a little bit more. Um, but having the trees there, that that costume, that makeup, that, again, was so much better than whatever they had done before and really kicked up the uh, the the raised the bar that's the expression i want to use it raised the bar on what science fiction television shows would do for makeup it became much more adventurous from here on out you know you got to see buffy the vampire slayer with the uh um with the vampires having those little snarly gar- uh, growly faces that's nothing yeah whatever that's something <laughs> simple you can just apply that in 20 minutes big deal um but this thing like how many hours would go into those costumes to to put, apply all that the appliances and we didn't we didn't even see or get to find out more about the the weird skexies looking bird creatures right. and i'm sorry i have to relate everything back to Muppets. nerd things that are <laughs> common or that i'm familiar with and the moment i saw those bird things i'm like oh my gosh skexies are in the future friend <laughs> does that mean that you know some well, uh, at some it. point they're going to leave there and they're going to find a planet and and kill everything mm-hmm. on it uh, all the the native little wing species yeah right. probably um weren't those birds they weren't the disguises were they they were something else no 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 the disguises were very sort of generic cloaked figures with the weird claw hand right. handing out the balls and uh and you know i I've, i i almost felt a little cheated then i was like really that's gonna be the the bad guys you got this giant face in a jar and we can't like okay um, well, the face of Bo is, is kind of an interesting appearance. You know, it's that's that's yeah, I wasn't expecting something that looked like that in this episode. Um, I, I wasn't expecting half of what I saw in that yeah, episode oh, yeah, yeah, from the point. looks perspective. It felt like I was walking into the cantina in Star Wars. Yeah, well, did you know, you you know it was just such a varied character looks and species and see what sticks again relating it to things that i'm familiar with that's one of the things that sort of opened up star wars for so many of us is you walk into that cantina and all of a sudden it's not just a bunch of dudes wearing buckets on their heads or humans but it's other creatures that don't look like humans, that don't even have a human trait, uh, that right. all of a sudden goes, okay, no, this is a really, we are really in a space movie. And, the, you know, what is it, 10 minutes into this episode, and boom, here's all these characters with very interesting looks and hopefully very interesting backstories that we'll get to see, hopefully. maybe. Yeah, <laughs> and yet if you don't, then you just accept that the world or the universe is bigger than we have time to talk about. Mm, Which is great. Yeah. So uh, you, you, you were uh, talking a lot about uh, our tree friend, Jade. Mm -hmm. uh, And one of the biggest questions that this, uh, there were a lot of moments that I really liked in this show. And I guess there wasn't a lot of uh, 
backstory character development for the doctor. So I, I didn't really have as many questions in this episode as I did in the first. But there is a moment. I scanned you earlier. The metal machine had trouble identifying your species. It refused to admit your existence. And even when it named you, I wouldn't believe it. But it was right. I know where you're from. And she's the one that first uses the term Time Lord. Right. Um, we didn't really hear it in, in episode one, mm-hmm. um, but she definitely says that to him. Uh, and then he owns it, he says, at the end of the episode. I'm a Time Lord. I'm the last of the Time Lords. They're all gone. But there's that moment where she's talking to him, and he is not this smiley, excited... Uh, ready for adventure doctor that I've seen up until that moment, like he's genuinely crying. Um, it is the weight of the, the responsibility of being who he is. This is who I am right here, right now. All right. All that counts is here and now. And this is me. Yeah. And I'm here too. Cause you brought me in. So just tell me, you know, everything that makes him that there is, uh, it is, the serious gravity. He's he's right. He said he was the last of the Time Lords, and in the earlier version of the the series, there was the whole planet of Gallifrey, and you could see all of these people, his people, that he may have been able to agree with or argued with for all that time, but now he's the last one. My planet's gone. It's dead. Burn like the earth. It's just rocks and dust. Before it's time. What happened? There was a war and we lost. He is the last one. And the guilt of being a survivor, surviving a war where everybody else that he was with is not there anymore the only one that's huge and yeah that's that's the deepest burden that this character has to carry well i i hope we get to find out more about this war because it certainly looked like he had been deeply affected by it but um i did uh, i did come across a very doctor who question for you for this episode and that is psychic paper yeah <laughs> Okay. Well, psychic paper. Yeah. I mean, we. I didn't. I didn't even get into the whole sonic screwdriver, which he used a little bit in Rose. But in this, mm-hmm. it's like a weird stylus that allows him to interact with the rest of the ship. But psychic paper. Yeah. Okay. So we got writers who are trying to figure out something, and the idea of just being able to flash a badge. You can get into places if you have the right ID. And you can get into places if you act like you belong there. So somebody like the doctor will show you this. And because it is psychic paper, it is reacting to your or to the the viewer's mind, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's simply if their brains work at the right frequency, then they will see what they think they should see. 
Well, and while we're on the subject of psychic... It's a gift of the TARDIS. The telepathic field gets inside your brain, translates. It's inside my brain. Well, in a good way. Your machine gets inside my head. It gets inside and it changes my mind and you didn't even ask. Is that a permanent thing? Is that going to wear off? It is something. When she stops hanging out with him and going into the TARDIS? Because that sounds like it could cause cancer. No, um, I, I think that one you, you'd probably be pretty safe with, and it'd be awesome to have that ability. But I think the further away you are from the TARDIS, if the uh, if you leave the doctor's company, then you wouldn't be able to understand. Like she wouldn't understand those uh, um, the aliens whatsoever. And since since I brought it up, okay. um, I, I gather that. The sonic screwdriver is not, in fact, like a garden variety screwdriver that you know no, pretty no, much no, has no, one <laughs> main job to screw and unscrew things. If you are a person of ill repute, maybe it could be used as a stabbing weapon of some sort. But generally, you know, it it only serves one or two purposes. Um, is it safe to assume that the sonic screwdriver? is more of a multi-use sort of tool because he he tries to use it almost as a weapon against the little spider thing, but he also uses it as a stylus and then as a interface with the computer. So Yes. Um, with the sonic screwdriver, it is a very much a multifunctional tool. Um, he's able to scan things. He's able to gain readings from it. He's able to um, plug into the like in some cases you, when you think you would need to plug in directly, he's able to use it as almost Wi-Fi to interfere with, um, uh, or, and read the information that he's not able to access. Uh, otherwise, uh, he's able to use it to unlock doors. He's able to do so much with it, but what's important is that it is a screwdriver. It is considered a tool. It is not a weapon. What the doctor is desperately trying to do is he doesn't want, he's been in a war. He doesn't want to be in a war again. He doesn't want to take the life of something if there's any other way of doing it, if there's any other choice. And so this is a tool. You use tools to build things. You use tools to help improve things. and or fix is, things. And fix things. You know, it is simply a tool that goes in the hands of the person using it. And if you are a person who is known as the doctor, that already implies that those tools will be used in service to help. Yeah, to help to and to no heal. Harm. You know, they don't actually get into the Hippocratic Oath in the show because he's not a medical doctor, although he knows more about medicine than most anything in the universe. He's mm -hmm. not a doctor of philosophy, but he sure as hell is. You know, there's so many things that this, the title, the doctor can be because it's, it implies expertise. It implies somebody who is a lifelong student, a lifelong learner, you know, to achieve this intelligence. Well, and uh, speaking of a doctor of philosophy, um, this episode got very deep uh, in, 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 a, in a way that I was not expecting from a show that uh, just the episode 
prior is running around having, you know, plastic mannequins attack people. And all of a sudden in this episode, (laughs) right? It, you know, it's, it's having me think about my own mortality, which, you know, in the time we are living in, uh, we're all a little closer to our emotions than we'd like to admit. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, there are moments in the show and, uh, particularly, uh, the moment where Rose decides that, she needs to talk to her mom and the doctor sort of acquiesces and across time she's able to talk to her mom uh, while basically looking down at the extinction of the world that she has known and loved. Uh, it was, you know, it, it, it evoked emotions in me yeah. that I was just not prepared to uh, have stirred this early into uh, any sort of fandom this early into uh, a thing that, you know, episode two and I'm watching the death of the world. This character, you know, uh, at one point when uh, Cassandra, Lady Cassandra, uh, of course, turns out to be the villain. Um, but, you know, she's like Rose. Rose looks at him and is like... Everything has its time and everything dies. It was very deep because he is absolutely true. You know, our time is finite and what we do with it is what's important. Um, And I was not prepared for this show to make me think like that this quickly into. uh, Oh, yeah. Better get used to it because that's. (laughs) Honestly, that is one of the things about this series. I I was not expecting episode one to be as entertaining and captivating uh, from both an interest and sort of sparking my imagination mm-hmm. uh, in a way that very few things that I've been a fan of have done. Um, I, I started this episode and, uh, you know, I mentioned... Uh, it, it felt like the cantina scene. It felt like the beginning of Flash Gordon. Right. Uh, two things that, as a child, pretty much formed my, you know, my my formative years. Um, and then to have something that is sort of that pure and innocent and, and sparks your imagination in, in that sense, then merge into this this ending where it just tugged at my heartstrings and made me really think about science fiction and the show in a completely new light. If I wasn't already like hooked in, you know, to use a bad fishing metaphor, (laughs) I swallowed the hook on episode one. This episode sunk that hook in deep. I'm, I'm in. I'm ready. I am glad I'm going to keep it. watching. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it. Because, you know, you've heard me praise this thing for years. Yeah, like this is the show that you knew I was a big fan of, obviously, because you brought me on your show. Um, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> just so that you understand, uh, we used to record the My Favorite Movie podcast. Uh, both of us would be sitting at my house and he would show up and he showed up in this extravagant looking uh, trench coat and I'm like oh that's that's a nice trench coat because you know I'm, I'm a child of the 80s and trench coats were a thing because of John Cusack and the movie Say Anything right. but 
you walk in with this exquisite looking trench coat and you're like, oh, yes, it's the doctor. And you rattled off, you know, which doctor it is. It's and doctor's boy, number 77. Yeah, and, did it fall on deaf ears at that time or what? It's like, you know, you can admire the nothing quality to of the me. coat. But yeah, it's like, uh, doctor tenant two. What? Uh, no, uh, and, yeah, meant, yeah. and meant nothing. Uh, and I still haven't seen that coat, although uh, yeah, uh, Eccleston's uh, little leather coat that's that's pretty fly. I, yeah. I wish I could pull that one off. Well, okay. You want to see some crazy outfits? Go back in the history. Go check out <laughs> like the uh, uh, Colin Baker. He was the sixth doctor. He's got probably the most garish doctor costume. Ever in the entire run of the series, that is the most. Oh my god, is that the one with the scarves? No, that's the scarves was number four. Uh, okay, number five had a piece of celery on his well, it looked like a cricket or a tennis outfit, but number <laughs> six had this crazy quilt of just different there's different plaids on it most of it's pink or yellow or you know just this i mean seriously it is one of the worst ugliest looking coats <laughs> you'd ever want to see but all of them have had these eccentric looking outfits you know the immediate predecessor from the 1996 television movie was in a very victorian looking thing he had a waistcoat he had an ascot and, and then the next thing we see all those years later in 2005 is that t-shirt and that leather coat and you know it's just like oh that's subdued i mean it's a nice outfit but it is subdued then we'll (laughs) see a little bit more of that eccentricity in the future sure so is there anything in this episode that i miss that is going to come back in a future episode in a big way that i should have paid attention well Yes, I would say that this satellite, you will remember the satellite. You will the, remember the platform, the thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You will remember um, uh, Cassandra. You will, you know, she will be remembered. That's all I'm going to say about that. You you can't, <laughs> you can't avoid her that, that like that, that's such an impression that was made. Um, and such a great actress who got to do that too. She was. It's the, the uh, performer that does Madame Hooch yeah, from uh, Harry the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, speaking of Cassandra, um, <laughs> this this reference will make uh, very little sense to most people because this movie um, was not a gigantic uh, hit, uh, but it is absolutely one of my favorites. Um, Cassandra to me was very reminiscent of a, the, a character in the movie Brazil, uh, which is directed right. by Terry Gilliam. Uh, and there's a scene in which, uh, the, the actress, uh, and she played the mother you, on who's the boss. As that's I what I was going to say. Yeah. I can't remember her name. Um, yeah. but, uh, she is constantly having, uh, surgery done and her face like stretched and pulled. Uh, so I, I imagine that, uh, if not, becoming cassandra certainly uh the the predecessor to what cassandra was um and since you brought her up and i guess she's going to be more important in the future um 
I I kind of like the subtleness to which uh, on how they did this, uh-huh. but how they kind of talk about Cassandra as this very sort of gender neutral, uh, gender ambiguous character mm-hmm. because. Cassandra is presented as a woman, clearly the name implies, Um, but in the course of the conversation, she mentions how she was born a boy on Mm -hmm. Earth, and I I appreciate that. I mean, it's 2005 when this show started airing. We're 2020, and we're just now starting to sort of publicly discuss that. And here's a sci-fi show 15 years ago sort of putting a character out there that is, you know, gender neutral, gender ambiguous. Gender um, fluid. Gender fluid. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of I dug the, the subtleness to it. Uh, and I, I hope there's more of that uh, to come. I think you'd be, uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, in some ways this also comes from the uh, the showrunner um, Russell Davies uh, is a very much an out man um, you know, openly homosexual and has been a big supporter of uh, of the LGBTQ community um, creating characters like this is just part of it but he also did um, I believe the show was called uh, queer as folk you know he created no. that for uh, for cable television. Um, and so like he did not force it into everybody's face with this show, with this series. Um, there is more of it from another one of his series that would come up a little bit later, um, that is tied in a bit with, with Dr. Who, um, but in this case, it's like, you know, he is presenting this as just part of the beautiful tapestry of diversity that comes from the planet earth. You know, there was, there is a lot of depth in this show uh, and certainly in this specific episode. So uh, I, I hope that future episodes continue to show that level of creativeness to that script that, that, that really, I don't know. I loved it. I fell in love with this and if I wasn't already committed to a show, I'm definitely committed to it now because that show is fantastic. But Eric, thanks again for joining me uh, for the second episode of First Time Lord. If you haven't already, please visit the website at firsttimelord.com and uh, feel free to uh, hit that contact me link and uh, share your thoughts on the show, on anything you'd want me to discuss discuss any questions that you felt I should have asked of my experts and we'll explore it in a future episode and if you like the show and want to support it uh, please go to my patreon page you can find me under Daniel Levain or there's a link on the firsttimelord.com website that will take you straight to patreon uh, and you'd be helping to keep this show going for however many seasons there are of Doctor Who, both current and past. So thank you very much for doing it. And uh, thank you, Eric, once again for joining in this episode. I hope you had fun. It has been my pleasure, and I'd be more than happy whenever you need me to come back. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. 
There's plenty of Doctor Who out there, which I guess it reminds me, I gotta get back to watching some more episodes. (laughs) 